everyone, welcome to the Refugee Radio Maastricht, a new initiative from Refugee Project Maastricht. For those of you that don't know, RPM creates a community of care by building bridges between people of different backgrounds in order to empower them to thrive in Maastricht and beyond. The main goal for the podcast will be to serve as a platform for asylum seekers to share their own stories, opinions and insights on their experience. In addition to this, the podcast will also explore different subjects from culture, customs, arts to politics. In today's episode, I will explore a different perspective and discover what an NGO who deals with asylum seekers does in an Eastern European country, Romania, and how it is to work within it. Our guest for today is Irene Teodor. She is managing an advocacy project within GRS, a Romanian NGO. We'll talk a bit about their practice, projects, the Romanian legislation for asylum seekers and her personal experience working within. Hi, Ren. Hi, Todor. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a few words about what are you doing within GRS Romania? My name is uh, Irene and I currently coordinate three projects in uh, GRS Romania. Uh, one of them and the largest and oldest that we've been uh, implementing for a while now is the UNHCR funded project and it's called uh, Border Management and Protection of Asylum Seekers. Uh, and the other two are uh, quite new, they only just started, and they're from uh, Norwegian and SE uh, funding. All right. Uh, and what is the GRS, GRS uh, mission in Romania and a short history of uh, GRS and what's the background of it? Um, GRS is present in more than 50 countries um in the world in all on all continents despite this we are a national romanian registered um, ngo uh, we've existed for about for over 20 years actually while the main grs has existed for over 40. Um, and our main mission is to serve a company and advocate for the fundamental rights of refugees asylum seekers and migrants in general uh, can you tell us what the three letter GRS stand for? Yes, it stands for Jesuit Refugee Service. All right, yeah, just for everyone to know. Yeah. And yeah, let's follow up with uh, some more questions, the harder questions, and uh, that uh, uh, what I want to address now is like, how does the Romanian state support the process of a refugee from start to the end? Okay, so there's a lot to be said here, um, especially for, for someone who um, doesn't have a um, background of what all of it means, because um, we do have a, the, the important thing is we do have a system in place, um, that a system that is targeted to the needs of um, asylum seekers and refugees from the moment they enter our country, whether they do it legally or not through their application for uh, international protection, through uh, either a positive decision or a negative decision. The problem with this system is that um, unlike other more performing systems, it's, um, I would call it, it's patchwork, right? So it's not a well-oiled machine. It's not an organism uh, which um, functions as one. It's, it's, like a puzzle that uh, where you have all the um, um, necessary departments and authorities and programs in place, but somehow they don't quite fit together or uh, work together as one, right? So um, you have a system of reception for asylum seekers. We have six uh, centers in, throughout the country. They are um, managed by authorities. Um, these are um, for asylum seekers, but also for uh, refugees, uh, if they are vulnerable or if uh, they can pay rent to stay there long term. Uh, we have a relatively efficient uh, asylum procedure, and by efficient, I mean quite short as compared to other European countries. Um, you said it's around, uh, it's between three and six months? Usually, uh, at least in a, in a normal time period, in, in, in a... Uh, in a year where nothing spectacular happens, yes, it would take about from from three to six months, um, even after the administrative phase. So also uh, in the judicial phase. Yeah, it's a it's a quite fast process. From it's quite fast, and actually now uh, it's uh, getting faster. I'm not sure if that's a good thing, but yeah, it, it has ups and downs. From what you told me in our private conversation, like 
yeah, it could be, I mean, less stress, but in the same time, faster. I mean, you have to ask yourself if, if a procedure um, takes three days, how efficient is it? Yeah, that's correct. Right? That's correct. Because there's a lot to um, analyze, right? When a person asks for your protection as a state, they say, I'm in danger. I'm, I'm, if I'm returned to my country, I, I will die or I will be in serious danger. You need more than three days to assess whether this is true or not. If we're talking about um, um, countries outside of Europe, at least. At least that's my personal opinion. So we, apart from, from, from this, we do have um, a relatively efficient asylum procedure. Um, but after this step, it's, it, it all gets a little bit murky because if a person is rejected, then they um, go into a different procedure that belongs to a different department of the same authorities and the communication between them uh, it has to work because if it doesn't then uh, it, it this can translate quite literally into a barrier for um, for these migrants um, and I think uh, the system is well complemented by the presence of uh, NGOs uh, a long-standing presence and uh, that's where your NGO fits in yeah yeah um, uh, all the NGOs are basically present in all of the stages that I spoke about from arrival and to uh, a positive decision or a negative decision and including uh, a return to their country of origin how do you collaborate with the main actors such as the state and other NGOs in the field of asylum seeking so it's quite a small field in Romania, this asylum and migration field. You only have a handful of organizations and of authorities that um, are uh, dealing with this, right? So this, in essence, means that everyone knows each other. Uh, everyone knows what uh, the other person is doing. And uh, um, there's basically a good and long-standing collaboration. It's a niche subject, let's say, right? Um, so you do have in Romania a very good... Um, working arrangement between uh, civil society and authorities and the main authorities uh, um, with uh, responsibilities in this field are um, the General Inspectorate for Immigration and the Border Police. Um, and I do think they work quite well uh, in various forms. We have working groups on different subjects. We have um, uh, different sources of funding that sometimes go through the uh, General Inspectorate for Immigration. Uh, for example, on uh, I mean, there's a lot to be said on how exactly we, we work together, and I can elaborate on that uh, a little bit uh, if it's anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to tell us, please, we'll be more than happy to listen. Yeah, so if I can you have something in mind. For example, uh, under the UNHCR-funded project, we conduct uh, border monitoring. We are uh, currently the only NGO that does this in Romania, and. Uh, what this means uh, is that we have to work together with the border police uh, to basically have access uh, to any border crossing point, border area, transit area, uh, green border, uh, port, whatever. Um, so we can go there and talk to the authorities. We can go there and, and, and counsel migrants if there are any, uh, or we can uh, offer humanitarian assistance or simply gather data. Um, perhaps even um, try to see if there have been any instances of violence or any allegations of instances of violence and follow up with them. So uh, we function under a memorandum of understanding where basically the border police agrees that UNHCR can do this and they can request information and they can have their implementing partner go wherever they want to with prior notice, of course, and do all these things that constitute border monitoring. And they're in, um, under no obligation to do this, right? But they do it. This is the project that you are uh, at the moment uh, yeah. coordinating. is like yes. uh, the one in partnership with UNHCR. Yeah. Uh, that means for those the, who don't know it means that it's a un nation a high refugee uh, can you it's, tell, uh, yeah it's the sorry. united nations high commissioner for refugees for refugees exactly yeah, the representation my, my bad. Yeah. yeah 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 so that's so you're not only helping the refugees but you also help the state to yeah 
to give them knowledge and how to treat and what's the current legislation and uh, how to act in yeah, it's, this case. It's an advocacy project, I mean, so it's um, uh, this is the main idea, to, help, to work with the authorities and help them um, deliver better services. Um, improve, the, improve also the the manpower of the authorities, like uh, school them in some way. Yeah, but not um, not necessarily school them. I wouldn't say that we know more than the authorities know, okay. right? Um, but we try to to help, to complement them in a way. So, like, uh, let's give an example. And we are present in all of the six reception centers in Romania for asylum seekers, and. While it is the um, obligation of the authorities to counsel and to inform the asylum seekers of their rights, obligations, of their procedure, we help them with this by being there and by taking a part of this. Um, you are uh, like uh, an extension. Yes, we are complementary. Really, complementary, like you, you like to say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, your role over there uh, is to also show the refugees support i believe yes we counsel them and we assist them with what uh, other programs do you have like like language programs integration programs uh, beside this one i know it's not exactly your uh, field mm -hmm. but maybe you can tell us some other programs of yours yeah um so as an ngo we um we implement projects that uh target um assistance throughout the flight process throughout the whole flight process so from arrival which means border monitoring uh, and counseling while they're in the custody of the border police um then going onwards to reception and presence in reception centers or people might sometimes not want to apply for asylum in which case they might be uh, detained in special public custody centers we are present there as well um if they do get a positive decision then we Uh, implement projects that help um, with the integration process in Bucharest, in Constanza and Galat. In Bucharest, we uh, help refugees find housing, private housing like apartments, rent apartments. We mediate this relationship with the owner and we help them with um, uh, reimbursing their rent for a period of time. Um, and in Constanza and Galat, we do uh, stuff like uh, language courses and uh, integration activities, cultural activities, um, stuff like that. Um, yeah, and we've had other various little projects over the years. Um, right now, another one of uh, our oldest projects, it's called the Alternative to Detention, and it's for people who are finally rejected in the asylum procedure and who are about to be returned to their country of origin. Okay but cannot be returned to their country of origin be due to objective reasons. Like um, there is a war there and there are no flights, for example, Syria. Right. There is no flight to Syria. Nobody does returns to Syria right now. Um, or, for example, the embassy of the beneficiary doesn't respond to the request of the... Um, requesting the request of the requesting yeah. doesn't respond to the request of the of Romania uh, and so basically for ob objective reasons they can't uh, return this this person so you have to do something with them right and what's the alternative that you offer the alternative is offered by legislation and it's a special uh, legal status it's called toleration All right. uh, and basically they are allowed to um, to to stay on the Romanian territory uh, for a little while like you told me every month uh, they will uh, receive another visa mm -hmm. the visa will extend yeah, yeah every yeah. each month yeah and regularly the authorities check if uh, the situation that has prevented them from uh, returning this person has changed or not meanwhile if these persons are released from detention and uh, on the basis of this toleration status we give them shelter in Bucharest um, and a series of um, social benefits um, which can extend also I mean it's a, it's a large umbrella but it, it can also um, extend to medical services any kind of social assistance really. how many uh, asylum seekers and refugees do you uh, yeah do you support at the moment or in in Romania 
Uh, it depends from, uh, as I told you, from uh, project to project and from beneficiary, from group of beneficiary to group of ben. I know it's all very legalistic. And yeah, yeah. I know. Uh, but we have to do it like this because it's public funding, right? Kind of. Um, and we, so for example, in our project where we counsel asylum seekers from the beginning of the year and until now, we have almost 1,200 uh, asylum seekers uh, assisted. Uh, and on other projects, it depends. We have, for example, an X number of uh, people um, helped on the housing project. It's almost 400 now, I think, this year, uh, who are counseled or whose relationship with the owner of the apartment was uh, mediated, mediated or, or any kind of assistance in that way. It doesn't mean that all 400 got uh, reimbursement of the rent from, from us because, yeah. So it depends from project to project and beneficiary to beneficiary. In the uh, shelter, we do have um, 80 places available. And currently, we're not at a full uh, occupancy, which is good. Oh. Yeah. Uh, so how do they apply for your uh, shelter? They, they don't if apply. Because normally, they will be in uh, state-provided shelters. Yeah, they don't apply. This is a project that's funded also from European funds and that goes through the Romanian authorities. Um, and uh, we work in partnership with them, with the General Inspectors for Immigration. Uh, and basically, when they have a person who is about to be released from uh, detention, they call us and ask us uh, if we have availability to accommodate this person. So what's detention again, please? Detention. Um, Sounds like a hard word. <laughs> it's classically uh, called immigration detention. We don't use that term here. Uh, but maybe that will ring a bell to our listeners. Um it, uh, it's a closed center, right? There, we have two in Romania. It's, there's two closed centers. They look like a reception center, but um, the residents aren't allowed to leave. <laughs> okay. A bit like Hotel California. Okay. <laughs> you can come, but you can never leave. <laughs> no, but um, uh, so they ha If you're in detention, it doesn't mean that they've done anything illegal. Yeah. It just means that they've been through all the legal steps that they could have in the country to legalize their, their stay, and it hasn't happened. They did not manage to legalize their stay, so they have to be returned. These centers are used only for pre-removal purposes. And right? So they only keep them there before they attempt to return them to... And what's the logic between keeping them in a close environment? Is it to prevent not not prevent them not to fly or to flee Romania to go it can some... be for that reason as well it can be for for um, many reasons actually it can be if someone is a flight risk they can uh, decide to put them in detention if uh, we have uh, migrants who have entered the country uh, illegally and did not want to apply for asylum that is the only alter alternative they have to be put in to be placed in detention because there is no other legal... But uh, what are the procedures to apply for asylum in Romania? And how does a person know how to apply for asylum? Because I believe English can be hard to communicate sometimes. It's... Well, um, yeah, the, the great majority of them have some way of uh, communicating. They manage to speak enough words in English to, at least for you to be able to understand that this is what okay. they intend to do. Uh, so first, there is the voice of the community, which is always the most important. Uh, if they do travel somewhere legally or not, um, and regardless if they do it alone or not, they do have a community behind them. They do ask for advice. There, what do I do? Where do I go? Who do I speak to? What is uh, better for me in this situation? So there is that. There is also an online platform that we developed in 2019, I think. It's in eight languages. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, in um, Arabic, uh, Farsi, Pashto, Tigrinya, and so on. And there we tell them everything they need to know about the asylum procedure that might interest them. There is right. um, also the fact that when they are apprehended at the border, the border police informs them that they have the right to apply for asylum or they can call us and we can inform them that they have uh, the right to apply for asylum. Um, or they Google us simply. They 
just Google Refugees Romania and they see an NGO there and they WhatsApp us. Hey, I'm in the forest. What do I do? Okay. Do you have uh, this kind of cases? Like, yeah. Yeah. You've Not, heard about them. Uh, yeah, we've had some. I've personally had such cases, yeah. If you want to... I mean, it's nothing really spectacular. Oh, okay. It's just people uh, in the woods uh, <laughs> with uh, their phone and Googling our hotline and uh, our hotline scared. is my number. And, um, you know, it's it, it's um, it's actually quite frustrating sometimes because, um, let's say they're in the Serbian forest uh, family. This was the case. It was a family with uh, little children. The um, youngest was a few days old. Uh, and I know they're going to get judged for uh, fleeing while having small babies, but who are we to judge, really? Exactly. Um, and they text you and they tell you, hey, I want to come to Romania. I'm in the woods. I'm in the Serbian woods. Please help me. And there's nothing you can do as an NGO in that moment because they're on Serbian territory. You cannot encourage them to come illegally. And there's nothing that the Romanian authorities could do either. They can't go on Serbian territory and bring these people in, right? So you, the only thing that is safe for them to do in that moment is to return to the Serbian camp they fled from. Okay. And this is frustrating. Uh, they were already in a Serbian camp. This particular case, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But do do you have? This is my question now. From what you told me, do you have contact with other NGOs like from non-European states? Because we know our border is our western border. It's with Serbia, and Serbia yeah. is at the moment not in the European Union. Do you have any any collaboration with some NGOs over there? Um, we do communicate on specific cases. Uh, we might have a case that uh, came from them, and we need some documents, or we, we need some kind of documentation, okay. and with the person's consent, we uh, follow up on this with them. Or is the other way around, they're looking for a person who they heard might have crossed into Romania, and their relatives are worried about them, so they contact us with the family's consent. But it's uh, it's mainly been um, ad hoc until now, We only on individual cases. Uh, and uh, sharing practices in general, but um so do you you do have a channel of yeah, communication yeah of course it's yeah. something established nothing like on a it's nothing very formalized exactly yeah. but we do we do speak of course oh, okay. uh, we, before the pandemic we actually um uh we did joint cross-border monitoring visits but we never managed to do a serbian one since i've been here at least uh, and we hope to do it this year. But we've done it with uh, Bulgaria and with uh, Ukraine, for example. Like an NGO from there, an implementing partner of UNHCR, joining us on a mission and we go on the Romanian side and then on their side and we talk with both authorities and then we exchange notes. Okay, so you did it with our uh, northern... Yeah, 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 we did. Colleagues from uh, Ukraine. That's interesting as well. Yeah. How is it over there? It's a lot of uh, drug trafficking over the border. It's uh, less about, um, I mean, our borders are less about migrants and asylum seekers, our common border, I mean, and more about uh, the, uh, drug trafficking. But they do have a very different uh, typology of asylum seeker than we do. We, they have a lot of stateless people f due to their internal conflict. <clears throat> and... Um, yeah, it's quite it, it's quite different. It's it's uh, nothing like the profile of the migrants that we see here. Okay. It's a different route. It's not, um, but it it was interesting to to share experience. Yeah. yeah. And notes, like you yeah. said. What is the perception of the border police regarding asylum seekers now compared with uh, when you started? It's really hard to measure. All right. Um, I we haven't had a. A big enough contact with uh, with them as a whole to be able to ascertain if they, there has been a shift in mentality. But what I can tell you is that uh, Romania is uh, is okay at this uh, at this chapter. I mean, from what I've seen, at least uh, I've actually done board, uh, border monitoring when I first came to Jaris. Um, cases of violence perpetrated by border police. Uh, in Romania have been quite isolated. It's nothing systemic like you see in Croatia. It's not state-ordered. It's not, um, um, you know, um, there have been some allegations, of course, and they're under investigation internally by the border police. 
Uh, but I wouldn't say that we saw a systemic like a uh, hatred towards asylum seekers or migrants or uh, this sort of uh, racism that you you see so clearly displayed in other countries that even neighbor us. But we too, we do try to bring this. I mean, of course, they're very knowledgeable about the law and the things that it, that they have to do. But we try to bring this part of. Um, the human side of it to them in our trainings and in our capacity building uh, exercises with them um, to to share a bit of our um, human experience with them. But I can't say how well it's worked or not. And on a personal level, yeah, uh, how do you feel working in such a fun, in in an NGO dealing with refugees and asylum seekers? How do you feel personally and does it impact you on your daily life? Like, do you feel rewarded in your, uh, yeah, in your job? Because it's your job, it's not yeah. a volunteer, part-time volunteer experience, it's a full job for you. Yeah. Well, I wanted this a lot. Um, I mean, uh, this this was my intention to, to be here. I didn't just stumble upon it. Uh, and at first it was um it was difficult for me to um compartmentalize uh to put everything into its own little uh, um shelf on onto its own little shelf um and i got um very uh i brought a lot of it home with me um and i still do and i think this is why i chose not to uh work so much directly with uh, asylum seekers and refugees. I, I am more of a big picture kind of uh, uh, person in our team. Uh, I like to plan, I like to to manage, I like to uh, do budgets, I like to <laughs> think of what we want to do in five years, I like to come up with project ideas and to apply for funding. Um, and I think that is why, because uh, I'm not really good at setting the sort of limits uh, for myself. I mean, I... Uh, during my years here, I shifted between caring too much, caring too little, uh, uh, being too sensible, uh, sensitive, uh, or getting too desensitized to it. And I never could quite find a good balance, to be perfectly honest, between them. I'm still working on it. Um, because, of course, you get uh, desensitized at some point. After you hear the same story uh, 50 times, it's just something you expect. But the first time uh, you said it wasn't uh, a fluke that you came here, like it was mm -hmm. your, your your intention. Mm -hmm. And from what you knew from theory and when you saw it in practice, was it a big difference? Did it impact you a lot or you, you were expecting it? Somehow. Of course, it was very different. I mean, I had, I had all this uh, uh, baggage of academic knowledge and... Uh, I was so passionate about the concept of human rights, and I remember this is, I know it's um, um, beside the subject, but uh, for example, at our graduation uh, ceremony, you know how doctors, they do the, the their oath, uh, and we did, <laughs> they made us recite um, the beginning, the preamble of the Universal <laughs> Declaration of Human Rights, and it's something so geeky, I know, but I loved it, and this is the sort of mentality I went in with. I'm going to uphold human rights and I know what the standards are and I uh, this is what I do want to do for the rest of my life. I don't care if it eats my whole life up. And then you get there and it's just a bunch of paperwork and <laughs> you know um uh financial papers and copies of copies of copies and sometimes it's hard to feel like you're actually helping someone because you're so lost in the dailies. And also a big challenge for me, and I think for all the people who work in NGOs, is that you're constantly looking for um, raison d'etre. Um, like, you don't know if you're gonna exist as an organization the next year because you depend on external funding. So uh, you always struggle for survival, uh, for your own survival as an organization if this is not just the job for you, right? So that's always in the back of your head. Even if you have 10 projects uh, you're implementing in that year, next year they might not be there and the organization might not be there. The whole, this whole niche you've uh, put all, all your um, resources in, you might have to uh, 
do something else entirely. So this is also something that's eating away at you. Um, and you have to balance it out with the fact that you want to do good for the asylum seekers and the refugees. And sometimes you can get a bit selfish because the purpose here is not to have any more problems, right? That the system works, that it's a well-oiled machine, that uh, people have access to their rights, that um, they're not... They're, they're well treated and they have food to eat and a nice bed to sleep in and that the children go to school that's the point right but if all of that happens what's the point of NGOs then <laughs> you see it's um it's a paradox um so I struggle with that too um but to answer your initial question um yes it was quite different from theory what i experienced talking to 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 a person is quite different exactly have you experienced before any any volunteering work uh, with refugees directly have you spoke before you started here with refugees directly like or with asylum seekers or have you yeah interacted with them before uh no i volunteered before i was an intern for uh, a whole year um with UNHCR actually um but no I did not have contact with um with refugees okay. my dad's a refugee though <laughs> okay. but that's not at all the same they're very different uh situations and this is another lesson learned that uh because you know Romania has extensive experience as a as a refugee population actually uh fleeing communism and um going to Western Europe. But this sort of um, um, argument doesn't work well with the public, to be honest. Uh, I don't know why. It's a sort of uh, cognitive dissonance there. You know, they, they see it as um, two completely different things. It's one thing that we go to the West or somewhere else, but... Yes, because we're Europeans. We don't go there to impose our own culture. This is the the... To struggle with this mentality. Yeah, of course. This is uh, the public response that we've been getting actually for years that uh, you can't compare the two because we were simply Europeans going to Europe. But they are Middle Easterners sorry. <laughs> uh, coming to Europe wanting to impose their own uh, Muslim uh, way of life. Uh, do, you think, do you think that... Uh, actually, it's an interesting topic. We can discuss it. It just popped up. Yeah. In my mind, how does the church? I know you are a Catholic NGO, like yeah, uh, held by inside of a Catholic NGO Jesuit uh, foundation. Yeah. But how does our church, the Orthodox Church, help or collaborate with you, or do you have any joint programs? Um, not exactly. We do have um the most of the. Fundraising that we do and um, achieve, let's say, uh, it's with small churches, uh, uh, small local churches um, in Romania. They donate quite a lot, actually. Not necessarily money, but also money. So the churches, they do these, um, I don't know what's the term in English. Uh, okay, uh, okay. They, 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 they raise some money or not? Uh, food, food uh, uh, clothes, can every be Sunday, clothes. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, food, clothes. Yeah for a cause that they choose and sometimes it's refugees lately it's been refugees because of Timisoara and a lot of the religious community there got involved in that and we uh, cooperate in the sense that uh, we kind of tell them what the situation is and what the needs the actual needs in the field are and uh, so they try to supplement this uh, need but from my knowledge we haven't uh, worked with the orthodox still church. it's interesting because for uh, the listeners uh, in Romania the Orthodox Church uh, still has a pretty big impact, at least in the mental, in the mental thing, yeah. and uh, they are still can still be a big influence in our uh, perceptions of life. Yeah. <laughs> With, of everything, they can influence. Uh, sometimes they can also influence uh, in the small village uh, who will be elected as a mayor. Yeah. Yeah, because the church, the 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 priest still has a lot of uh, influence. Yeah. Influence, exactly. It's yeah. saw as the wise man from the village. That is still true, of course. Yeah, uh, but it's interesting that they still they, they are willing to help. They are most of yeah. I've 
<laughs> I actually didn't expect this coming in, but yeah, I saw a lot of uh, willingness on their part. Okay. And on different denominations, right? Yeah. And we're mostly talking about helping people of a different, completely different religion. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because I know, like you said before, that was my question. You started saying that, yeah, we were making a difference between us being European and Christians. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. The asylum seekers being foreigners from a faraway land uh, and not being same religion. Yeah. So... Yeah, probably here the Orthodox Church of Romania can help and uh, raise awareness that we are all people. Yeah, it could. <laughs> and still it's nice that a few small ones, although it's not a straightforward in, uh, from the from the top to the bottom, but yeah. it's from bottom to the top and still it's interesting that uh, we they are doing that. and. You said what's happening in Timișoara. Can you tell us a few words about that? Yeah. Um, so last year we've seen a surge in um, arrivals, in irregular legal arrivals, uh, because the the Western Balkans corridor got closed off, Croatia and Bosnia. So people were kind of forced to uh, take the way of Romania towards Hungary and Western Europe. Uh, don't imagine anything too crazy. We've only had um, a little over 6,000 um, asylum applications registered last year. And most of the people have already left Romania. But um, the point is that so they, they have to cross through Romania to get uh, to Western Europe where they have family, friends, whatever. Um, And um, once they enter Romania, I told you they're kind of assigned to uh, a reception center um, based on different criteria. It's no point going into them now. Um, and then a lot of them um, fled these centers. So usually you're not allowed to leave the county which you're assigned to without uh, approval or prior notice at least. Um, so they did leave, and uh, a lot of them went to Timisoara because they. Uh, Timisoara, it's a city it's a on city, the yeah. near the western border of Romania. Yes. Near Serbia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not far away from Hungary as well. Yeah. So it's a good point for more uh, for um, moving forward. So uh, they gathered there, uh, and uh, the reception center in Timisoara got overcrowded. Because we don't have a lot of capacity. You have to understand that usually um, we got like an average of 1,000 asylum requests per year. Um, uh, and that, that number is like six times. Yeah. So we're not prepared to deal with that. And that's why I told you that the system is not a, a well-functioning organism because this is not what I consider a major crisis. This is may maybe a minor um inconvenience but the system should be uh, designed in such a way as to be able to respond to a minor inconvenience right um, but it's not and um, to be perfectly honest if these people haven't hadn't fled as uh, as fast as they did uh, I think the system the asylum system would have definitely collapsed and it's still in danger of doing so and by that I mean look what happened to Greece look what happened to Germany where they simply were not able to process uh, such a number of asylum applications or they simply had no places where to accommodate these people who apply for asylum. And this is still a risk for us. Anyway, so these people uh, decided to stay in Timisoara in order to um, move on. Uh, some of them uh, stayed in abandoned buildings or houses that they found in Timisoara, which upset the locals uh, a little bit. Uh, they didn't like seeing them on the street. There, There's also been uh, one incident of violence uh, be between migrants, which also sparked a lot of uh, public outrage um, about public safety and um, uh, just about the fact that it's inappropriate for them to stay there because it's not safe for them. There are a lot of children There are a lot of uh, minors there, and it's simply not safe. I know the system isn't perfect, but at least it, it's able to ensure that they are physically protected uh, while they're in the 
asylum procedure. So being that as it is, the fact that you have overcrowding in Timisoara, so the system was kind of shaky, uh, the authorities couldn't physically provide them with the money that uh, they're entitled to daily for them to buy food uh, because there were delays, because there are so many people. So we had, we and other organizations had to, um, to provide uh, humanitarian assistance, food for them. Um, and providing this uh, kind of aid was uh, exactly like, how did you manage to find this kind of aid from the civil society? Like, uh, did the civil society help? Uh, each organization did it uh, on their own differently, uh, each NGO present there. Okay. We all have um, whatever our <laughs> our uh, own way of doing things, but we uh, helped with the help of other small churches. They did this sort of... Um, um, collecting. Collecting, yeah, and also... Collecting aid. Yeah, basically, and donating money as well. Uh, but we also used project funds, uh, like we, if we had savings or... Um, uh, if we had an activity that uh, we decided was less important, we used the funds from the project to help these people, even though we don't usually do that because uh, this is uh, the project, uh, the UNHCR-funded project is an advocacy project, so it's not meant to provide a humanitarian uh, physical assistance because the state should do that. But this was, um, this was a, sp a special situation because uh, the state was simply, uh, it was too much and too fast them and do you think this situation by closing the western balkans corridor yeah. am i right the western balkan yeah. corridor uh, will uh, will make the, the asylum seekers go more and more to romania and is it the plan or maybe your ngo is thinking about how can they support more people well, for I don't know what will happen, but for now it, the numbers have remained constant uh, throughout the months. So it's a steady flow. It hasn't necessarily increased or decreased significantly. Um, it's not that. It, don't imagine it's very easy to enter Romania either. I mean, we <laughs> we do have external borders, and yeah, yeah. we do have a pretty strong uh, border police force, which this is its job to protect the borders. So it's not that easy to do this either. But it's definitely. Uh, less bloody than it is in Croatia or uh, in other countries which have actual fences or walls uh, around its borders. So in that sense, I think, yeah, it will likely continue. Also because it's summer and it's hot outside, so they can withstand um, the outdoors much longer. Uh, what's Are they coming also by sea? No, not this year, no. Not this year. happened in 2017, but not here. Not this year. No. They are normally coming from Serbia. Yeah, most of them. Most of them. Okay. And as a short uh, end, yeah. instead of an end, can you tell us a rewarding moment of yours working within GRS Romania, please? Uh, I do have one, but apart from the big one, I do have small ones every, not every day. Sometimes I have small ones, let's say. Uh, when you're doing something that is uh, tedious or uh, unimaginative or uh, repetitive or you just don't see the point of it, like some paperwork. Um, but then you realize that, uh, you know, this uh, tedious paperwork that you're doing would will actually make someone's life better. Um, that small moment in itself is uh, is uh, sufficiently rewarding. So you know you're not just um, a cog doing something just for the sake of doing it. Um, but it actually helps someone in a more or less significant way. I don't care if it makes their lives better a little bit. Uh, it's... It's worth it for me. Uh, but as a big rewarding moment, uh, seeing as I'm not a person who works with them directly as much as my colleagues are, uh, I think it probably was um, the case with a family. Um, they were returned from Germany under the Dublin regulation. It was a mom and her six kids. 
uh, ages from uh, like one month old, uh, the youngest and the oldest was the um, 13-year-old girl or 12, 12 or 13. Uh, and um, they were returned in the middle of the night without their dad by the German authorities. And they were so scared, uh, the mom, <laughs> the mom was so scared, she didn't speak a word of English, a word of German, a word of anything that we could communicate with her. And she had this huge trauma, just cr newly created, of course, because uh, they came in the night and took her kids and her and sent her to a different country without her husband. So, of course, she was very untrusting of us and of everyone around her. Uh, she was accommodated at our uh, shelter because uh, it takes a while for uh, for you to reopen your asylum procedure. So while she did that, uh, uh, she stayed with us. And I remember uh, for some reason, because I'm the only person uh, in our organization who speaks German, so um, I had to speak with her uh, and with her kids who the oldest spoke German very well, actually, to communicate with them and tell them what they need to do and how uh, we can do it. Um, and somehow she imprinted on me and decided, okay, I can trust this person. And this happened because uh, one day I told her that uh, she needs to go to the store to buy uh, food with the social tickets that we give her. And I can stay with the kids. And she said, absolutely not. <laughs> I will not leave the kids in a foreign country that, uh, no, just simply no. So we went with six kids to <laughs> Mega Image and uh, it was just complete chaos. But after that, she started to, to kind of trust me and she left me babysitting her kids, her smallest kids uh, for a while. Um, but all the while, she really, really wanted to um, to move in a reception center. And I tried telling them that, you know, maybe you should curb your enthusiasm a little bit because it's really, it's um, the conditions there are worse than in our shelter. At least in our shelter, they were alone. I don't know. But that was the point. They wanted to be with um, their community. Because no matter what the conditions are in the center, no matter how uh, awful it might seem to us, the fact that they have a community there is uh, all that matters. That the moms can get together and cook and they can leave the children with persons they trust and stuff like that. This is, this is what matters, right? So this is what she wanted. And I tried throughout the process to kind of lower her and the kids' expectations. Because they were coming from Germany, man, come on. <laughs> they were coming to Romania. Anyway, and uh, I stayed with them and uh, we all kind of um, got familiar with each other. And then the day finally came when we could uh, move them to the reception center. And we drove with our own cars, with all the kids. We had to go in two cars, of course, with all the baggages, with all the toys, with all the everything. <laughs> with the yelling in German and in Arabic and in everything. And we finally got there and... Um, <laughs> And I saw the, the look on their faces, on the little kids' faces who couldn't, you know, they can't dissimulate emotion like adults can. You yeah, can yeah. see it on their faces that they're yeah, exactly. so disappointed. Anyway, and we got there to their room and the, the small child started crying. And then the mom was trying to stay strong, like, oh, this is good. This is fine. <laughs> um, and finally she started crying too. And they all started crying and I started crying and my colleagues started crying when we were all like 10 people crying in a two by two room. Domino <laughs> yeah. effects. Anyway, and we had to leave them, which was leave them there, which was one of the hardest things that we ever had to do, at, at least for me. And we moved on with our lives. Um, and one day, one year later, I think, uh, I get a, um, a WhatsApp message from a colleague from a different NGO saying, uh, Birgin wants to talk to you. And I'm like, who? Uh, Birgin, you know Birgin. I, I didn't remember her name. And she, I just said, okay, give her my number. And then when I saw her on WhatsApp, it was the oldest, uh, the oldest daughter, the 13-year-old one. And she wrote to me in Romanian and she was like, I miss you and I want to see you and I'm fine. And we have moved in, a, in an apartment and uh, we're all going to school. And she was speaking Romanian perfectly. After just one year. Yeah. And I went cool. and I saw her and her mom and their dad was, um, he returned as well. And they were, uh, it was just one of those very rare happy endings where uh, the people actually integrated and made the best out of a really bad situation. Um, and it was really satisfying and rewarding for me because to be perfectly honest, this never happens to us. I mean, it happens so rarely. Usually we lose touch with people. 
either because they move on or uh, we just lose touch and we never know what came of that. Or uh, we've seen so many uh, unhappy endings that um, it's just the norm now. So we're just miserable all the time. <laughs> but this was a rewarding moment, yeah. Yeah, I can see it's uh, it's lovely like to, to bond and also see it. The light. Yeah, yeah, but see, but I couldn't do this every day. This is why I don't work <laughs> directly with uh, people. I mean, I, I would be shattered. I can't do this every day. I have this one story which has uh, it still consumes me, and it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how my colleagues do it. To be perfectly, I don't know how they uh, bond with so many people every day, and uh, still have a whole, to still be whole. <laughs> still have uh, an intact heart, not yeah. be broke. Yeah. Million pieces. Yeah, I imagine. It's not, it's not for everyone. No, like not, definitely, definitely not. Like a doctor, exactly, also, or a surgeon. Exactly. Yeah. You cannot be if you don't have. If you don't have it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely, lovely story to end, to yes. end our podcast. It was it was so nice to have you. Thank and you for having me. Thank you very much, uh, and thank GRS Romania for uh, yeah for doing this uh, this work of uh, raising awareness and helping refugees and yeah i hope we could uh, every day yeah step by step raise more awareness and make a make a better world no yeah thanks so much for uh, having me and uh, being interested in general in this yeah issue maybe we can uh, collaborate more in the future sure yeah we would love to thank you very much thank you Tudor. Thank you everyone for listening. If you want more information about RPM, you can visit our website. If you want to tell us a story, don't hesitate to contact us. 